speaker tonight, so I have no clue what you all have been studying. (laughs) We're going to pick up or continue where we left off. Um, We've been dealing with uh, Cain's sacrifice, and so we're on spiritual sacrifices, and we're going to look tonight at being spiritual-minded, and that's the part that Cain obviously missed, right? So I will study that tonight. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, thank you for allowing us tonight to be here to study your word. Please give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding and an in-depth understanding of ourselves, of our minds, of our our struggles, our challenges. Help us where we find ourselves with unbelief, strengthen our faith. And bless us, Lord God, as we have taken the time this evening to be here to learn more of your word. Bless us, Lord God, to be able to take these things that we've learned and apply them to ourselves and those things that are beneficial to others to teach them to others as well. These things we pray and thank you for in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Be that will. Amen. Let's turn to First Corinthians chapter three. What was what was so hard um, about being spiritual minded when you think of of Cain and grappling over the spiritual side of life why was that so difficult for Cain? I mean, Cain was full of this anger and, and whatever else was going on in his mind. God said, if you do what's right, you can hold your countenance up. He obviously was frustrated. Um, you know, he just wasn't doing well. It wasn't going well for Cain and it continued to get worse. Well, what was so difficult about being spiritual minded? Well, you look into the New Testament, the church of Corinth kind of had the same issue and a hard time being spiritual minded. They had a lot of issues in Corinth, right, in Greece, uh, coming off of that, that, that nature uh, of, you know, heathenism and coming out of that into Christianity and, um, and you know, being ruled by the Romans. And this congregation of believers, um, they wrestled with a lot of things. And one of those things they wrestled with was being spiritual-minded. I mean, you got to remember that Corinth is the only congregation um, in the Bible, but you probably don't know of one of these either that were celebrating and rejoicing. It's probably a better word to use. They were boasting over the fact that a man had his father's wife. Who would boast over that? You know, I mean, but that's that was the nature of the Church of Corinth. So Paul in um, chapter two, as he's talking to the Church of Corinth, he says to them uh, these some spiritual things that the Word of God is spiritually appraised. Right, so there's something about the spiritual that that uh, is, is you know very more very more and much more important than the, the flesh. It's the mind of Christ. So they were so far from that. In verse one of chapter three, uh, he says, "And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink and not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able." For you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? And that's exactly what was in the heart of Cain. Jealousy, strife, right? I mean, Cain was a very fleshly-minded individual, and he struggled, right? And he struggled so badly, so desperately. Not that he was reaching for for spirituality or trying to be better. We don't know that he wasn't. But apparently he didn't. It's the fact that it just wasn't a part of him. You know, he was so focused and fixated on 
on himself. The New Testament describes Cain. Um, when you hear the name Cain in the New Testament, is he depicted as being good or evil? Evil, that's right. He's, so, you know, obviously this, what, what we get in Genesis 4 is a glimpse of what Cain really was like. We don't get the whole picture um, of that. So being uh, physically minded or carnal minded, it made it difficult even for the church of Corinth to, to understand, to, to conceive the idea or to, to, to re- relish in the idea of spirituality. What does it mean to be spiritual minded to God? What does it mean to be spiritual minded uh, for a church? And they, they had some issues. Chapter, um, chapter 6. Verse 19, and when there's this difficulty in overcoming the flesh, there's an inability, and I say that, you know, kind of gently, but it's just difficult to grasp spiritual things. So as Paul was trying to explain to them some of the deeper things of Christ, they just weren't getting it. They were still grappling with things that they shouldn't have been grappling with. So, so very blatantly, uh, the Bible says in verse 19 of chapter 6, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. How difficult is that? You've been bought with a price, you are not your own, glorify God in your body. What does that even mean? So for the church of Corinth, what does that, what does that mean for them? What does that mean for, for Cain or to Cain when you say, Cain, glorify God in your body. Use your body, your mind, and your soul to glorify God. How does that make you look at people? How would that have made Cain see his brother Abel if he was focused or fixated on glorifying God? Would he have seen him in a different light? Or would he have still seen him as the enemy? Yeah, right? It, it would have been like, oh wow, praise God that Cain has these, Abel rather, has these, um, these, these traits about himself, characteristics that maybe I'm lacking, I'm working on, but I can look at him, I can mimic him, and let him be a role model for me in those areas, realizing that I have some strengths of my own over here, and we can work together in Christ, right? To grow. What if the church at Corinth had done that? What were they doing instead? Chapter 1, they were fighting, weren't they? Right? All the traits of Cain. They were fighting. They were backbiting each other. Um, you know, they were, they were following this person and that person. And they'd forgotten about the single one they were supposed to think of, Christ. Right? Chloe's people were complaining, saying, these folks, you know, some were saying, I'm a Paul-like Christian. You know, others were saying, I'm this kind of Christian. No, you're all of Christ. And they were just divided and, and mixed up and struggling in their faith. They were dealing with just about everything you can imagine in the Lord's church. First Peter chapter um, chapter two. So being spiritual minded, to think about things in a way contrary to what the world demands. Part of it part of it means to realize who we are, to realize our own value. You know, back in, in this day I would say, you know, well, we know the Bible's the book for all time, but, you know, if you think about liberation, um, in this day, in the Old Testament, and the way that humanism grew and how 
male dominance grew and, and how men became, uh, and still to this day, very chauvinistic, right? It's very difficult for, it's always been for, for women in the world today. And definitely back, really, really back, back then, right? And Jesus comes along and he, he, he liberates women. I mean, it's pretty amazing. If you, if you look at the Bible, you look at it from that light, you think about all the people that were held captive under some philosophical thought or idea, some ide- ideology that was degrading, that, um, that took away your, your freedom. But you should know the truth and the truth shall set you free. It, it, it took those things away. And then Christ comes in and he starts saying, you know, the way you're looking at life is very wrong. It's not the way God set it up. Okay. And so Christ comes and liberates. And when you get into Peter, um, and you start reading it, you know, you get into the second part where he's talking about Sarah and, and her, her, she and Abraham and, and the power that she had in that relationship. And then you look at being spiritual minded. It's a matter of trying, instead of trying to see how we can one up each other, it, instead it's how can we use the talents of each individual in a God-given way? Yeah, that's, what it's, that's what's supposed to happen, right? Because we all have our talents. We have our roles, right? We have our roles, but within our roles, we have our defined talents. We're not saying women are to preach the Bible tells them not to. We're not talking about that. But what we're talking about is being able to use your talents that God has given you in an amazing way, right? Without the uh, restriction of of humanity. Look, look at verse 4, chapter 2. And coming to him as to a living stone rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are built up, being built up a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And we'll stop there for a moment. Is that only talking to men? Everybody was supposed to say, no. <laughs> right? Absolutely not. It's talking about the church, right? The church, we together are these living stones in Christ Jesus. And we have this ability to do amazing things if, if we'll walk with God in a spiritual way. You see? It's no longer, it's no longer about rights and roles. It's about looking at things from a spiritual side, reflecting in a spiritual way. You know, Cain, if he had just looked at the spiritual side of everything, Cain, it's not about your offering right now. It's about your obedience to God. It's about your love for Christ, right? That's what it's about. And Cain missed that. Cain made it about about himself. Look at verse 6. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This idea of being liberated. It's in the Old Testament too. You know, he was trying to teach them in the Old Testament. It's Isaiah 28 and verse 16. You are a precious stone. The word precious, the idea that God is trying to present to us is that all of God's people are equally precious to God. Even the world, he's for God so loved the world, but in particular, 
God loves his people uniquely differently from the way he loves the world. We're precious people. You talk about an esteem lifter. You talk about building one up to say, wait a minute, you mean that in all, with all my flaws and all my weaknesses, I am still precious and unique to Jesus? Yeah, that's pretty exciting. And, oh, and the women too, right? The point is, is that God never differentiated in this description between male and female, for he made them both, right? And man is made in the image of God. And what a beautiful beautiful thought. What a beautiful idea the scriptures portray to us. Let's go to Psalm chapter uh, 118. The same thought here. Psalm 118. I want to show it to you. It's in Isaiah 28 as well, but I want to show it to you in Psalm 118 and verse 22, I believe. Verse 22. Here's the prophecy. Uh, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And so here Jesus is this chief cornerstone, and he has his people who he's purchased, who belongs to him, who are meant to, to glorify Jesus, to give him the glory back. Remember when Jesus said, uh, Father, glorify thou me as I you know, as I had before, the same glory I had before, I'm asking for. And the Father said, I've glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. And then Jesus says, we're to glorify God. It's amazing. The spiritual side of humanity, that spiritual nature, is so impactful, is so powerful that if we focused on it, we'd be amazed how liberated we'd feel in Christ. First Corinthians chapter 3, back to Corinth. Because we're talking about Cain. And we're talking about the fact that he didn't understand that, that when God was talking to him, it's not just that God was delivering a message to, um, to Cain, but rather more than that, it's the fact that God talked to him. What if God talked to you? How would you feel? <laughs> you were like, dear Lord. He says, yes. And you go, I mean, first of all, we'd be terrified. <laughs> what if God spoke to you? Think about that. Well, I mean, he does, right? How does God speak to us today? Yeah, you, that's right, Cor- through the Word, right? Do you let him talk to you every day? Do you say, dear God, tell me something today? And you just pick the book up, and you just open it, flop it, wherever you want, and then you just read it, and you go, wow, that was right, empowering, because God wanted me to know this. I mean, I believe in that. I believe you just pick it up, and you just let him talk to you. Sometimes you open the book, you flip it, and it goes to Leviticus, and you go, uh, let's do it again. Do over, right? No. <laughs> Let God talk to you every single day. So Cain had a conversation with God who tried to, God tried to write, if you will, Cain's perspective, his understanding about life. He's like, Cain, if you do well, your countenance will be lifted up. If you do not do well, sin is at the door. It's crouching. It's desires for you. Another thing God was saying is, Cain, you're going to lose this one. And I don't want you to. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit. And God literally, in the text, literally tries to talk Cain out of doing what Cain, through a premeditated way, wanted to do. Kill his brother. And why was he going to kill his brother? Because he was evil. Interesting, isn't it? You know what's also interesting? Evil people in the Bible, God spoke to them too. Trying to talk them out of what's about to happen. 
You know, you know, you're, you know, the ultimate, the ultimate is you do realize where you're going to go. Right? I mean, Manasseh, the most wicked man, as far as the king is concerned. God delivered messengers to him. Pharaoh, God delivered messengers to him. Judas, Jesus himself talked to him. I mean, you, know, you can go through the list and look at all these people. And God spent time trying to save that which he has built, that which he has purchased, that which he loves. Humanity, right? First Corinthians chapter 3. To be spiritual minded means to think about the spiritual house that we are and how important each one of us are to Christ. I think verse 16 is where we'll look. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are, a holy vessel. The world understands, to, to a certain level, holiness. They understand it in the sense that if someone in the world that you, you've met and you know them, and, and out there they, they, they have language that um, you know, isn't becoming a Christian, do they try to correct that when they walk into the building? They do, don't they? They think, oh, I can't talk like that when I get in here. Right? And, um, and, and so God is telling us, as he, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, that we are a holy temple. So, so literally, we, we, are a, we are a church building, if you will, in the sense of church buildings, right? We know it's the people, but we are literally the, the walking edifice of God the building of God, the temple of God. We demand a certain type of respect, I think, because of who we are. But we do not demand that respect if people don't realize who we are. And if we realize and recognize how valuable, how important we are, not just to God, number one, but to the world, we might, we might carry ourselves a little differently. And when we do that, the Bible says, speaking of Cain, Genesis 4, when you do well, you can keep your head up high. Right? And we don't have to cower down as, as Christians. Instead, as God's children, we can hold our head up high and be proud of who we are and who we represent and, and what we are that God has made us into. And we can stand up for right, even in the face of evil. We can do the right thing at, at every given time, opportunity, and circumstance. And we can stand and be counted, and the world might hate us for it, but we're proud because we stand for God. We could do that. You know what's sad? The church is more like Corinth and more like Cain. We cower down when it comes to standing up for right, don't we? I mean, you may not want to agree with that, but isn't it true? We don't stand up for what's right. Not, I mean, not publicly. Brother, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to represent something that's so uniquely different from the world. That the world looks at us and says, I don't get it. They're not supposed to get it. Right? What helps us do that is we recognize who we truly are. We're precious. We're valuable. We're important, not only to God, but to the world. And God tried to help Cain to understand that by talking to Cain. He said, Cain, why are you angry? Do, do you have a good reason to be angry, Cain? 
And he struggled with that answer. I want to jump way back into uh, the book of Hosea, uh, chapter, chapter 6, for just a moment. Do you have a good reason to be angry? Remember God asked Jonah that same question. I love the questions. One day, uh, perhaps I'll bring a lesson um, that you know, I think about God's amazing questions. You know, he has some amazing, you know, he looks at you and he, just, he asks you a question and he says, do you have a good reason to be angry? Yeah, I have a good reason to be angry. I was watching television or I was listening to the radio or wherever I was. My favorite, my football team lost, you know. Do you have a good, do you have a really, do you have a good reason to be angry at your wife? you have a good reason to be angry at your husband right now? Well, of course I do, Lord, because, you know, God's point is, actually, you don't. You really don't. Uh, I love Ephesians 4, verse 32. It says, um, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. It's that idea of this, this amazing spiritual mind stepping outside of self and looking into the tender heart that God has given to us. Pretty impressive. Well, God wanted Cain to have some tenderness in his heart because his brother, was his brother innocent or was his brother guilty? Yeah, it was innocent, right? I mean, you know, based on the text, you know, there could have been some sibling rivalry, and we, we, but it doesn't say any of that, right? So we're, you know, oh, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible describes Cain, uh, Abel rather, as a man of faith um, in, in, some, in some instances. Looking at Hosea 6, look, if you think about God's delight. What is God's delight? What would God have expected of Cain and Abel in their, in their sacrifice, serving as priests, right? Under the patriarchal dispensation, here are two priests, right? And then all the other kids that are there, whomever, they're all priests. And they're all able to go to God and make their own sacrifices to God. They're all priests. Hebrews, uh, Hosea 6 and verse 6. For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And God has said that before throughout the scriptures. You know what I want? I just want loyalty, right? Uh, okay, you could sacrifice and, that, and that I agree, that's important but I want loyalty. Before you come to the sacrifice, I want loyalty. What did, I think Jesus, Matthew chapter 6 said that if you have all but your brother before you give on Sunday, not making it today. Before you give, go make it right. Leave your offering, go make it right. And then come back and present your offering. I want loyalty. I want your heart. Right? I want what I've given you. And that is, I've given you something that's so important, that's so precious, that's so tender, that's so, so critically important. Your heart. But I don't want this heart. I want this one. I want your heart. I want loyalty. God has always wanted loyalty. Doesn't always get it. Micah 6. Remember Micah, in this passage, um, the question was, you know, what does God, uh, what does God expect of us? What does God want? And when you, I want to go back to verse 6 because, you know, in Micah, he starts breaking down, maybe God wants this, maybe God wants that, in regards to idolatry. God is not a God of idolatry. So verse 6 says, uh, with what will I, what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? 
Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, for the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. That's it. Wait, there's not more? No, but there's a lot. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. What what a way to live. Let's think about Cain for just a moment. To do justice. Justice. Who deserved the flogging? Was it Abel or Cain? Cain, right? He's the one who had the terrible sacrifice and not, not united with faith and all the things that was wrong. Um, who needed kindness? Abel, right? The kindness of his brother. Um, and who needed humility? Cain. <laughs> it's interesting. All these things. If Cain had done all three of those things, what an, what an amazing relationship. That could, we wouldn't have had that account in, in the Bible. It wouldn't have been there. Right? It would have been a different account. A different uh, account of their, accounting of their lifestyle. In our lives, church, are we practicing justice? Are we, are we practicing kindness? Are we walking humbly? With God, this is this is an Old Testament idea carried all the way into the New Testament, right? All of it's carried into the New Testament, every bit of it. You could even just look at Matthew seven, seven and following. Um, you know, the, the golden rule: do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. <laughs> you could just use that one. There's so many other passages that brings this idea right along the way uh, for them. I want to go to Psalm 51 and verse 16. Psalm 51 and verse. 16. If you have any questions, please feel free to stop me, but I'm just going on with the flow of this lesson here. Psalm 51, verse 16 and verse... Yes, please do. We don't know that. I, I would, you know, I would, I would not say they were the first children, but I don't know that they're the first children. I know there are a lot of children. Um, I do know there are other children around. Uh, but we don't have any indicator as to who the firstborn was or, you know, the, the last child that was born to Eve. We just know that a lot, of, a lot of children were born to them. But God did choose these two in this account to let us know something about relationships in that day, right? And, and how, and this kind of rolls in, so Cain in the, rolls into an understanding of who are the people later that the Israelites are going to conquer, the Canaanites. Right? So we had to have some history as to Cain, and then later Lamech, and then the Nephilim, and then you keep, you continue going on, and you get an idea of where the world goes when it's out, when it's not doing what God wants us to do, right? Um, and so we, we do know that He gave us this account for that particular purpose. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. That's correct. That is correct. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. That's correct. That's right. That's right. 
And, and, and then Satan with that, knowing we have a choice, shows his power, right? Uh, the power that we give to him, right? He only possesses the power that we give him. And unfortunately, we give him a lot of power, you know. And, and Adam walked around. This is in the book of Opinions, chapter 12, verse 6. That Adam walked around with a chip on his shoulder because he kept saying to his kids, Mama ate us out of house and home. So, right. Uh, but yeah, they had choice, right? And so uh, the Bible makes it really clear that um, Adam wasn't tricked. <laughs> it's like Eve, at least she was deceived. <laughs> Adam was just, the Bible says, because you listen to the voice of your wife, knowing that she was wrong. Choice. Cain and Abel, choice. And the rest of the generation's choice. And all these choices led to what? The destruction of the world. And all these choices will lead to what? The destruction of the world. But this time by fire. So you're right about that um, idea that when we have choices that God has given to us, we don't always make the right decisions. And it's because we're not always spiritual thinkers. We're not thinking about, if you you think about like, um, I I guess I can't really say this and and prove it, but I know every time I've gone uh, to Disneyland or whatever, Disney World, I haven't gone often, but when I took my children there, it was, you know, besides all the long lines, it was fun and the kids had a great time and that was good. It was like, all right, this is, you're on vacation. You're just out to have fun. You're not thinking about anything, right? You know, it's amazing when you have choice and you get rid of all the stress, you kind of think differently, right? And so that's how we're supposed to live our lives in Christ because God is watching over us as if we're in this beautiful place. Oh, wait, this is a beautiful place, right? It's the people that make it bad, right? We do, if we walk with Jesus, we can walk. The Bible says that Jesus says, John fourteen twenty seven. the peace I give is not like the world. In other words, he gives us peace in the midst of chaos. And if we can recognize the peace that we have in the midst of chaos, we can walk spiritually minded. Recognizing and realizing, as Hebrews chapter 11, 13 through 15 says, looking for a city not made with hands. That we get to leave this place no matter how bad it is, we get to go to heaven in the end. We're good, right? We're golden. Something about that peace that makes a, a, if you will, has an impact on the decisions that we make in life. And God tried to help Cain to understand that peace. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? So think about that. You know, walking around, just, oh, I just, I just, you know, he's just upset, just so, versus, hello, guys, how you doing? You know, his countenance is up. He feels good about his relationship. And that's how we should feel because we walk with Jesus, Right? We're living stones, right? We're we walking, talking, church building, if you will. We're God's people. God sacrificed himself for us in particular. Verse 16, Psalm 51. As for me, I shall call upon God and the Lord will save me. Wait, I think I'm in the wrong place. I told you Psalm 51 and I was not there. Forgive me. That's a good one, though. <laughs> Verse 16, um, for thou dost not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. Thou art not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, thou will not despise. Oh, wait a minute. You know what God wants? God wants to mend our broken hearts. He says, come to me. You sad? Come to me. You know our children, you know, children, they... 
my little grandchildren to come and they get a boo-boo or something. Come on, kid. And we kiss the boo-boo, make them better, and then they go off. We feel good about that, right? We did, no, we did nothing except show them love. And God says, that's where I want you. I want you in my bosom. I want you to come to me. I'm looking for you. I know you're struggling. I know it's hard. That's what I delight in, not the sacrifice. I delight in you. See how precious this is? This is wonderful. We have an amazing relationship that God has established. And in order to be free thinkers or spiritual minded, we have to remind ourselves continuously of the position that we're in. We're in the greatest position that a human being could ever be in. You, know, you thought it was being rich. No, that's not it. You thought about having the big... No, it's not that. How about a brand new car? No, it's not that. It's being in the bosom, being in the presence of God. There's nothing grander. There's nothing greater than that. How many of us see that? Uh, you got to be spiritual minded to see that while on the earth. Right? Have to take a moment to step away from the flesh. Right? The flesh and look into the spirit world and see all things as God has made them. Liberation, freedom in Christ Jesus. The idea, the joy to serve God. What a joy it is to serve God. Whatever it may be, to, to teach His Word, to, to, be a, to show an act of kindness to a neighbor, to make a sandwich for someone, to do something kind for someone else, and then to have that reciprocated back to you. What an amazing relationship we have in Christ. To love each other in a way that you can't find in the world. To know that our brethren and our, our friends have been struggling with Satan and trying to say no all day long. And then somehow, way, through God's gift, we muster up just enough energy to get here. Hopefully let our guard down for just a moment. And then this opportunity that we have to be able to lift each other's spirits. What, a, what an amazing opportunity we have tonight. Right? Are we using that opportunity? Smiling faces love and cheer and happiness just to say, go back out there and fight one more day. God talks to Cain and says, Cain, if you do well, you can lift your head up and everything will be all right. And it would have been true. But Cain did not desire righteousness. And, and by the way, in our class, we're going to look next week at why, I'm sure it's next week, why we know he did wrong, why he knew he was doing wrong. It was a premeditated sin and everything else uh, uh, behind the, this, this, this text. Okay, so Cain lacked, read my notes here, he lacked mercy, he lacked kindness, he lacked humility. Um, he did the exact opposite of what God uh, expects for humans to do and what we're supposed to be. His pride uh, would not allow him to be what God expected him to be. And the question tonight that we ask is, um, with our knowledge that we have, of God and of righteousness and right, how good do you feel? So this is kind of a comparative question. How do you feel when you do good as opposed to how do you feel when you do evil? Let me, let me change that a little bit. Let's go this way. How do you feel when you forgive someone? And how do you feel when you hold a grudge? I figured you'd understand that one better. <laughs> right? I know I do. Because when you, when you forgive someone and you truly forgive them and you let it go, what happens? Uh, yeah, right. 
There's some peace. The weight is lifted. You go, Gosh, why have I been holding on to this for the last 12 years anyway? I don't know. <laughs> when you hold a grudge, what happens? Everything's bad, right? Everything's bad. I, no, I'm so angry. You know, every time you, you see the person coming down the hallway or you see them at your workplace or you see them in the store or wherever and you see them in your anger, all of a sudden it just muscles up and you angry inside, you just, and you just go the other way. I've even seen folks do this. I've seen folks just, it, well, I didn't, wait, I didn't see this. They told, they explained this to me. They were in the store, had a shopping cart full, doing their shopping, and this person does not like to shop, okay? And he, he was doing his shopping, and going down, and he saw the person he was angry at, and he just pushed his cart and just left. And then he said, you know, he was walking out of the store when he kind of calmed down a little bit, he got in his car, I was driving off. Then he got angry because now he's got to go back to the store. He hates shopping. He's got to do it all over again. <laughs> I laughed at him. You're so silly. Why don't you just forgive him and let it go? And you won't have to worry about this anymore. I'm working on that. I'm working on that. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. And another person sit in my office and, and, and you know, find repentance in his heart. And a desire to uh, to forgive in tears, praise God. Left, you talk about Satan, right? Left my office, got up, got around someone else, and they helped steer up that emotion again of anger. And he went out and tried to shoot and kill people. He didn't, he didn't hit anyone. He shot at them, but he missed all of them. How does Satan get into your heart that bad? But the point I'm making is this: on one hand, he found peace, and he's like, "Man, this is great." And he explained that piece sitting there in my office. And on the other hand, he got all riled up inside. And he's just evil to evil to evil to evil. So maybe not to that extreme uh, are we that way. But perhaps the idea to understand that when we we refuse to forgive or we refuse to do the thing we know we ought to do. You know, like I know I need to go over to so-and-so and tell him I'm sorry. I didn't, I I meant to say what I said. You know, that's, that's important, isn't it? To be honest. You know, you know, instead of going to your, your wife and say, oh, let me, let me try this. Honey, I didn't mean when I said that. But that's not true. I meant it. Because I want to win. Right? I'm going to win the fight. Right? No, but it was wrong to do that. Whatever it is. To be honest with self is important. Right? So tonight I'm encouraging you to look into the recesses of your heart and ask yourself some of the questions that God might ask you on Judgment Day about your life. How important was that, Tony? How'd that work out for you? <laughs> Whatever God might ask me, uh, Tony, how important was it that you had your way in this particular situation? How important was it for you to be angry over this particular event? How important is it for you to be able to be in complete and total control? Those kinds of questions. Your pride, Tony. Your pride. Why were you so arrogant? in this particular day, at this hour, in this moment? Why are you still that way today? Tony, if you could change it all, what would you change? Those are some great questions. And you probably have better ones that you can ask yourself. God asked Cain, I want you to do a self-reflection, Cain. Look in your heart and ask yourself, Cain, as your anger is brewing, right? You're thinking about your brother. This this mindset now is saying, I am going to murder him. 
pain? Are you really, is it really worth it? Do you really, does he deserve this attitude? Really, what has he done? All the questions that God would ask Cain, did Cain have an answer? Other than, God, you're right. Right? And it continued to get worse in, in history. Lamech goes out and kills someone. Okay, so God has these beautiful and wonderful expectations of us. I want to go to a prayer scripture. Second uh, Peter chapter 1, please. And I want to go to the scripture because I, I really enjoy the scripture. It's about you know, prayer and then relationship. Um, verse 3. It's, it's kind of the answer. Here's the pre-answer to our prayers. Right? Um, seeing that His divine nature, verse, verse 3, His divine uh, power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. So, if God has provided everything, is everything already answered? <laughs> yeah, right? There's your prayer answer right there. He's already given you everything. Everything's there. All the answers are here. You just have to know where to go to find them, right? You have to know to go to God, and God will even lead you to His Word. Every prayer you pray, it's already done. The answer's already done. It's finished. Do you believe it? What is it? Mark eleven twenty four? when you pray, pray believing that what you've asked is already accomplished. It's finished. And God has provided everything that pertains to life, and godliness. And then it goes on one more, one step further. Verse 4, For by these he has granted to us the, his precious and magnificent promises, in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Divine nature. Wait a minute, we're going to, okay. So we know we're going to, thank God, we get to go to heaven. You get to see the big picture, right? The big picture. Now in my prayer, I'm saying, you know, God... You've given me your precious and magnificent promises. Uh-oh, wait. Scripture says God can't lie. Right. What did God say about your problems in life? I got you covered. Don't worry about it. I got you covered. Remember Matthew chapter 6? He spent a whole, what, 24 through verse uh, 30, 30, 34. The whole, the whole part saying, hey, by the way, guys, I got you covered. You don't believe me? Look at the grass. The grass is worthless. You, you mow it down, it grows right back. You mow it down, it grows right back. You love it, and you hate it. You love it, and then you hate it, right? You hate mowing, but you mow it down, and it dies. But every year, God calls it to grow again, right? Something that's so trivial, and yet God says, I've got that covered. And then he says, look at the lilies of the field. And he says, not even Solomon in all his riches was glorified or made like that. Nothing could compare. And he says, you, you are important to me. More important than the grass, more important than the birds, more important than the lilies. You're important. I got you covered. All you got to do is have faith. Right? It's covered. And then you have his divine promises revealed in the scriptures. Everything's revealed. Just open your Bible up and start reading. And look at all of God's promises fulfilled over and 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 over again. All of God's promises. 
You just see them over and over, time and time and time and time. And you know the end of the story. The end of the story, God wins. In the middle of the story, God's winning. The beginning of the story, God has won. I mean, it's always God the winner, God the winner, God wins. And that's, that's who we serve. We're his children. He's our father. He says, I got you covered. So tomorrow when you go to work, we don't have to go with a chip on our shoulders. We can go there and say, you know what? I know how this is going to end. I win because my God wins, right? Whatever's going on in your life right now, if you're having struggles, maybe you're you know, angry, situations in life, don't worry about it. Just give it to God and watch him take it and do something with it. Watch him turn all the bad stuff into good stuff, right? According to his will, watch him do it in your life. And then when he does that, faith is that assurance of things hoped for. It's here it is that. Here's the substance. Here's the stuff you can hold on to. You can stand on, right? It's stuff. The foundation. Something you can stand on. Is that the end? Is that, the, is that one more? One minute? Okay. That means it's over, right? Oh. Well, you got to come to my class get the rest of that. God bless y'all. Thank you for your time.